<sighs> so today I wanted to continue with a couple themes that we kind of started the last couple weeks. One is kind of getting back to basics. Wanted to get back to some Dharma basics because we had several weeks of doing some applied Dharma, some engaged Dharma. So I wanted to just touch back down on some basic concepts and how we can use or take refuge in the Dharma to deal with particular types of suffering. And the other thing is just to remember, last week we did some reflections. For those who were not here last week, um, Molly will put up the podcast link, but we did some guided reflections for the end of the month. Um, I can also send you, I, I put them in our Google Drive for the Wednesday Wake Up Group, so you can have those. I can always resend that link as well. But just to remind ourselves that it's good to reflect. Guided reflections are helpful. As you guys know, I'm really a big fan of them. So in the spirit of that, I wanted to just do, do some reflection on grief and loss, the concept of grief and loss in relationship to the Dharma and how the Dharma can be used as a refuge for this companion that we have in human life, this experience we've all had of loss and the subsequent grief that comes with it. And it could be any loss. It doesn't necessarily mean trauma or big loss. It could mean big loss, but I just mean it in the general sense that this is something universal that human beings experience. So I wanted to talk about that today. Part of the reason I, I want to talk about it is uh, when I was in graduate school studying to be a therapist, grief and loss was one of those subjects that we touched on quite a bit. And every time I found myself reading about it or reflecting about it, it just seems so important to the human condition to really understand how we can mitigate some of the grief that we experience for the loss that is inevitable in the human experience. So much of us experience loss day in and day out for a variety of different reasons. And grief is a natural consequence of that. And when I got finished with my clinical internship, after seeing thousands of people it was very clear to me that grief and loss is truly a companion on this journey for human beings. And I've had my own uh, significant grief and loss, early trauma. Uh, in fact, when I was in graduate school, my best friend at the time um, passed away from an accidental overdose and in the middle of grad school. And so I'm very familiar with this personally and professionally, both as therapist and Dharma teacher and fellow human. And this last week, I was in a seminar, a paid seminar, um, that Brendan Burchard, who's a life coach, had given on grief and loss. And there were a few things that he said, and as he said them, my mind went straight to the Dharma. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's so great that we have Dharma tools and Dharma skills to get in touch with and to lessen some of the dukkha that comes with this kind of thing. And I got really excited in the training because I could really see how this was connected to the Dharma. And I wanted to offer a framework tonight and I wanted to repeat three things that uh, were said in the seminar and then I'll move on to the Dharma part. But I really wanted to offer these three things because it was so well, so eloquently put in the, uh, in the training. And it really brought me back to some of the things I had learned in grad school. Brendan had reminded me uh, that there are three, three things that are common, three emotions, really, that are common when we experience loss. And 
when I was reflecting on these three things, I was really thinking about the pandemic because I was thinking, wow, we have really lost a particular way of living. A few months ago, everything changed and a bunch of habits and experiences and abilities and privileges that we all took for granted were suddenly not at our disposal. There was a real loss of something, a loss of a way of communicating, a way of connecting and a way of being with each other. I mean, PIMC, we, we had Wednesday wake up going not very long and then suddenly we're here on Zoom. So I really got back in touch with the loss that I had experienced during the pandemic. And there were three things that were mentioned in the training that are triggered when human beings experience loss. And the first one is shock. When we experience loss, there can be shock. And this shock can trigger a couple different things in tandem. One is fear, like what's gonna happen next because I'm surprised at the loss or the situation, or denial, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And when I heard this in the, in the workshop, I thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly how we've experienced the pandemic. There was this shock that it was happening, this kind of confusion, like, is it really happening? This fear of what's going to happen next and how are we going to protect ourselves? And is there going to be a vaccine? And when do we get back to normal? And so many different things. So I really got in, in touch with my own shock that I had experienced over the last few months from the pandemic and realized, oh my gosh, this is normal. This is normal experience when there's a great loss, right? And in this case, a loss of a way of being for all of us. And then of course, sadness. Sadness comes with loss. We're all familiar with this emotion as humans. And the third thing that was brought up was longing. And this really touched my heart because it was described as wishing for what was. Wishing for what was. In this time of the pandemic, I know a lot of us are wishing for what was. There's a longing that we have for this to be done, that we don't have to wear masks and that we can gather safely without fear and get back to work, get back to our communities, get back into contact. So shock, sadness, and longing were mentioned and it really just, it just touched my heart the way this was spoken and I got really back in contact with the Dharma as I was listening to this and realized that we are really blessed that we have in our meditation practice a way of taking refuge in times of loss, that we have tools that we can use to understand this shock, this sadness, this longing, and we can use our Dharma tools to get in touch with, be present with these things, and to lessen the impact. The Buddha would say that loss is inevitable. Human beings on the planet, things arise, things pass away, loss is a part of the game. It is a part of human life. However, the sadness and grief that we feel, that is regulated by how we respond to the loss. How mindful are we? How compassionate are we? Right? So yes, there's going to be loss, but we have Dharma skills which can decrease the suffering that would occur otherwise from the loss. So we have a blessing here as Dharma practitioners, as meditators, that yes, we're going to experience the loss, but how it impacts us and the intensity and length of the grief that is something, that's our second arrow in the Dharma. That's something that we can change by the way we respond, by the way we practice, and the way we show up in the world. We can show up with wisdom. We can show up with self-care, self-compassion. We can show up with equanimity, 
We can show up with wisdom and kindness. And the way we show up is going to change how we experience the sadness. The loss is going to be there, but we certainly have a role to play in all this. And as you know, I'm a big fan of reminding us that the Buddha's big insight is that we play a role in shaping our experience. That was the big insight the Buddha had, was that though there is loss in life, suffering is optional. I wanted to talk about two aspects of the Dharma that really came up for me when I was thinking about grief and loss. The first was the first noble truth, and the second was anicca, or impermanence. And when I was thinking about these two things, getting regrounded into the Dharma, I really saw clearly that viewing the world and relating to the world with an understanding of the first noble truth and the nature of impermanence has really helped me in my life to decrease unhappiness and increase joy and well-being. It really has done that for me through my meditation practice. So I wanted to remind us of these two qualities of the Dharma and relate them to this. The first noble truth, as most of us know, says that there is suffering. It's this declaration, this reminder to the mind and the heart that there is suffering, that suffering is a companion to the human experience. And there are a lot of ways of relating or understanding this term or this phrase, so to speak, that there is suffering. Because at first glance, we could say, yeah, yeah, there's suffering. You don't need to remind me. But the idea behind this phrase, there is suffering, it's a declaration. It's an invitation to reflect on what does it mean that there is suffering in life? What does this invoke in us when we really come to terms with the fact that suffering is a partner that walks with us through the human experience. And there are several different ways to look at this, so I'm just going to run through these for a second. The first thing that the noble truth invites us to do, this first noble truth, is it invites us to change the way we relate to discontent. Normally the mind runs away from discontent. It's averse to unpleasantness, and it wants to push away, it wants to hide, it wants to deny and distract. The natural inclination of the heart is to contract when it's feeling uncomfortable. The mind is going to run away and distract itself. It is natural when there is suffering, suffering to run away, to push back. Our natural inclination is not to embrace, to open up, and to lean in to the fact of suffering. So the first noble truth invites us to remember that because it's natural and because it's going to keep arising, that the best thing to do is to invite it in, to be on the lookout for it, to scan the horizon of our day-to-day -day interactions and say, where is the suffering? I know it's here somewhere. It's going to be here. And to look out and invite it into our lives in a way that we can relate to it differently so we are, in a sense, more in control of the experience. When we experience discontent, the Buddha invites us to bring awareness to it and come into intimate and direct contact with the discomfort. When we do that, the mind takes a different approach. The mind reacts differently. And instead of saying, this shouldn't be happening, which creates another layer of pain, and I know we've all had this experience, some discontent arises and we say, not now, this is not a good time. I can't believe this is happening. And we push back and we create a contraction of the heart and a contraction of the mind, which just increases the grief. Instead, if we honor the first noble truth, 
we bring awareness to the suffering. And instead of this shouldn't be happening, we say, oh, look, here it is again. Human again. Here's the suffering. Here is the companion to my human experience. There is discontent. And here it is again. Being able to do that decreases some of the grief. It decreases some of the impact that we have with that which is uncomfortable. Leaning in, in and of itself, and be willing to touch suffering intimately and accepting that it's natural decreases it automatically. It just sort of turns down that stereo knob, right? It turns down the volume of the dukkha. Another aspect of accepting suffering as this noble truth is that we ask ourselves to say, this is universal. All beings experience dukkha. All beings experience suffering. All hearts and minds naturally contract when they're experiencing stress. And so this helps us to transcend the statement that often arises when we're suffering, which is, why me? Why am I experiencing heartbreak? Why am I experiencing loss? When we say, why me? It's another way of pushing back against the naturalness of the fact and universality and mutuality of the human condition. And the Dharma invites us to be intimate with the truth of this fact. The Dharma asks us to engage in a type of courageous authenticity where we're invited to show up in the day with a sense of, ah, there's the suffering, my companion, and this is the suffering of all beings, that all my fellow beings are experiencing some version of the suffering. There's been numerous occasions, I have to say, during the pandemic where I got in this mindset of why me, as if the pandemic was happening to me. Because there's been certain things in my life that have really been thrown off by the pandemic. And I just couldn't help myself. There were times when I was just thinking, this is so inconvenient for me. As if the pandemic was sent to, to somehow dysregulate me personally. And that the universe was like, you know, we just want to make Gregory uncomfortable. And everybody else's experience of the pandemic is just sort of collateral damage. But for me, it's really uncomfortable. So I found myself with that why me attitude to a global pandemic, which is visibly affecting everybody. But still, my heart and mind went there and had this sense of, I can't believe this is happening. It's so inconvenient in my life right now. I saw it. I saw it happening. And so looking at the noble truth of suffering allows us to decrease or turn down the volume that comes from the ego saying, why me? Why am I suffering in the pandemic? Why do I have to experience this? And it just tunes it down. That very sense of acknowledging the universality and mutuality of suffering helps with that pain, with that grief. Pandemic is present. How I react. That's where we have choice. The last part of this first noble truth is really, I think, one of the most challenging parts of it, which is when we say there is suffering, what we're really saying is we should expect it. We should anticipate it. We should know that there is more on the way. That this is going to happen as we move through life. Earlier when I said shock is a response to loss, when I heard that in the seminar, the first thought I had was, oh, that's right, the first noble truth. The first noble truth says, no need to be shocked by suffering. It's coming and there's going to be more on the way 
because suffering is a natural part of the human experience. There is so much extra dukkha, so much of that second arrow that occurs because we're shocked that something bad is happening. We're shocked that the car breaks down or the glass breaks. We're shocked at the divorce or the heartache or the sick child or the sick parent or our own sickness. And that shock is impacting. And some of that shock comes from this sort of complacency that the heart and mind can get into where we think, oh, things are going well. That must have been my last dose of dukkha. There's no more dukkha from here on out. And we start getting into the groove of life and things are going well. And then, bam, something really dysregulating happens. And we're like, I can't believe this. This is happening. How could this be happening to me? That sense of shock that comes with grief and loss we're really in this privileged position that the Buddha asked us to anticipate it, predict it, welcome it, expect it. Dukkha is on the guest list. It's always going to be on the guest list. Now, it doesn't always show up to the party, but eventually it will show up, right? It's on the list. It's got a VIP pass and it's going to come back. So we can reduce suffering by honoring the fact of it, by looking at the universality of it, and remembering that more is on the way. It's a part of the human experience. Aging, illness, sickness, loss. This is what it is to be human. And we can decrease that second arrow, that second layer of suffering by really honoring, really honoring the fact that the first noble truth says that there is dukkha. There is dukkha in the human experience. The other Dharma view or perspective that I think is helpful is one we are all familiar with, which is impermanence, anicca. Anicca is usually talked about as one of the three characteristics of existence that help us to understand the nature of suffering and to free ourselves from suffering and discontent. Anicca just says that everything on this side of the Big Bang is arising and passing away. Each breath, each mood, each thought, each relationship, everything that comes into being in this world eventually is relegated to the past. Everything that arises is an impermanent changing phenomenon, moment to moment. Change, change, change. It was such a big thing in the Dharma, this idea of impermanence, because human beings love to grasp we love to cling. We want things to stay solid, predictable, manageable, permanent. Wouldn't it be great if the best of friendships and the best, uh, see, best friendships, best partnerships, best experience just lasted forever? That sense of like, oh, I wish this pleasurable experience would just keep on going. But it doesn't. It passes away. Relationships end. Friendships go by the wayside. Every incoming breath, is eventually lost to the past. It is relegated there forever. We don't get that breath back. Every moment arising and passing away. With getting in touch with this impermanence, we begin to experience life really deeply because we begin to have a sense of gratitude. When something does arise, right? We can acknowledge the beauty of it. Here is this breath right here. Here is this wonderful moment of heat and like today when I was walking there was this sense of heat and wind and feet on the ground and there was this moment where I felt oh this is 
this is my sense of a summer breeze. And I really was in this mode of mindfulness and could feel it, but was also aware, oh, this is impermanent. In this moment, summer breeze, later on in the day, some frustration about something. The summer breeze is not permanent, but my heart and mind want to grab onto it and make it last. Impermanence and being in touch with impermanence is an incredible quality of wisdom, really acknowledging the arising and passing away of phenomenon and the arising and passing away of our own existence and the existence of those we love. That is significant wisdom, and that's a long journey of insight that human beings take on when we walk the path of the Dharma. It was clear to me when I was thinking about the pandemic, how quickly the conditions of the pandemic arose into human consciousness. The last thing I remember was that it was on TV and was in China and felt like a world away. And then all of a sudden, here it is in Clackamas, right? And it arises and then a loss of a whole way of being all sorts of things begin to pass away. Our ability to connect, our ability to touch and hug, our ability to see people without masks, right? To be able to see people smile. Suddenly those who are our elders who have particular medical conditions or of a particular age, suddenly that sense of safety becomes gone and suddenly we have concern, right? Is this person going to be safe? Am I going to be safe? Certainty, is lost in these moments, right? Confidence, optimism. We've gotten into this situation where there's a lot of loss. Something arose and a bunch of other stuff passed away. Some of it will come back, but we don't know when. So we really are in a state as a world and as individuals of grief and loss. Certain things have changed significantly for us. Loss of jobs, right? Loss of income, loss of certainty, things like this, all kinds of things arising and passing away. I wanted to offer a little reflection based on this idea of the first noble truth and impermanence. So I'm going to put them together first. I'm going to put them together, and then I'm going to invite us to do a reflection. What's interesting about the first noble truth is that as simple as it sounds, there is suffering. Second noble truth, there's a cause of suffering. Third noble truth, there's freedom from suffering. On paper, it can seem so simple. But we all know, if we're meditators, that the Dharma invites us onto a journey of awakening that's fraught with difficulties. Wisdom doesn't come easy. It takes effort. It's challenging to gain compassion and to gain wisdom, even with our best intentions. The first noble truth is inviting us to face the, the reality of who we are as humans at the deepest level, the most intimate level. And it's also inviting us to bring awareness to the world and reach out in relationship to the world and touch it intimately. The good parts, the bad parts, the traumatizing parts, really touch deeply into the world and into ourselves. The Dharma invites us to have this sort of courageous honesty, right? With what it is to be authentic. And to be authentic is to be in touch with truth. And part of that truth is the truth of suffering. 
I would love it if the Dharma was like an invitation to the truth of the world and it was just joy without any of that first noble truth junk. That would be awesome. But that's not the truth, right? That's not the authenticity. The path invites us to be liberated through courageous, right, and uncompromising honesty. And that uncompromising honesty is a challenging ride. So I want to remind us that this journey takes a lot of courage. And I'd like to remind you to, when you're offering self-care, remind yourself of the courage of being present. Give yourself credit for practicing mindfulness. Because mindfulness is a quest for truth. And part of that truth is being in touch with the reality of the grief and loss that we experience as human beings. And that's not easy. That's not easy. I invite you to give yourself some credit for doing that work because that work takes courage and compassion. And that, that's not nothing, as they say. That's not nothing. That's, that's significant work. So hats off to you. I really feel a sense of gratitude. I had a sense of gratitude in the meditation earlier of being able to sit with you all and wishing you well during this time of the pandemic. <clears throat> but would really encourage you, give yourself credit for the work you've done, the skills you've used to manage this time, and the support system you have been for others. Every so, Everyone in this room has had a positive impact in some way to some other being during this time. Give yourself credit for that, and I thank you for that as well. So let's do a reflection. I'd like to do a reflection. And similar to last week, um, you can do it in one of two ways. You can do it as a meditation, or you can take a minute to go grab a piece of paper and pen if you would like to write it out. Um, take a couple minutes to get yourself situated. If you want to write it down, wonderful. Um, if not, you can either close your eyes or just, just contemplate. It's a contemplation, but give you the option. You could do both. You can write if writing comes to mind, and if not, you can feel. And as always, whenever we do reflections, we always remember first foundation of mindfulness is the body. Even doing contemplations, we want to bring awareness to sensations. Keep part of that awareness grounded in the reality of embodied being, because we're never not embodied in this practice. We're always bringing our awareness to the first foundation. So be in touch with body. Be in touch with feelings. And I wanted us just to go through these few things that Brendan had suggested and just do some reflection so we can really step up courageously to the fact of dukkha and what we've all been through the last few months. So I'm going to invite you to reflect in this way first. Of all the things that have happened in the last 90 days, what has shocked you or surprised you the most? What has really caused dysregulation? What was the big surprise in all of this? What really threw you for a loop? What shocked you in the last 90 days? And with the arising of that shock, 
Can you get in touch with the two qualities that usually arise for humans? Fear and denial. Can you get in touch with any tangible fears that have arisen in the last 90 days? Everyone in this digital room here, this digital Dharma hall, has had a fear of something. Maybe it's job loss. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's the fear of not being able to see ones we love. What was your fear? Your dukkha. And have there been any moments where you've said to yourself, I just can't believe this is happening. That sense of awe. Wow, look at what is happening. And just remind yourself that that is a part of this experience. The unrealness of it is totally normative. And along with this fear, with this shock, surprise, there has been, I imagine, for all of us in some way, sadness. And of the last few months, what has brought you in touch with the most sadness of all the things going on? Where is the sadness lie for you? I know for myself, one of the big shocks was just, at least subjectively, how long it's lasted. I honestly thought it was going to be like six weeks and that was going to be the end of it. So I've had to retool my thinking, but there was this shock that it just, that we're still dealing with it. One of the sadnesses I felt over the last 90 days was, I really anticipated human beings coming together more in in cooperation and I felt a real deep sadness that there hasn't been more cooperation I felt like there was a some naivete that got lost in all this shock and sadness fear and denial dukkha first noble truth pandemics happen and we have these natural responses and the Dharma invites us to step up and get real intimate and in touch with it to acknowledge that it's happening. And in light of that, this question, wishing for what was, in this moment, what is the longing? Based on the last 90 days of pandemic and the social uplifting as well that's happened, in this moment, what is the longing what wishing for what was occurs in your heart and in your mind? See if you can feel it in the body as well. Really be present with it. 
another part of this reflection in the spirit of the first noble truth is just really being present to loss itself. Oftentimes when we think of loss, we think of loss of a person, but oftentimes we don't think of the more subtle dukkha that can occur with big life change. So I wrote down a few so you could kind of see what I mean here. And I just want you to just be present with the sensation or mood change when I go down this list of more subtle losses that can occur in a time like this. Some of them are more obvious than others. So loss of physical contact. Loss of physical contact. But at a deeper level, loss of intimacy. Loss of intimacy. Certain intimacy has decreased among us. Family, friends, spiritual group. That intimacy of personal contact, of being in the same room, could be a loss of closeness. Loss of closeness. Some of you might be experiencing it as a longing for community or loss of community or loss of connectivity. And another quality of that could be called belonging. A loss of the, the richness of belonging that comes from that connection, from that intimacy. Without the connection, we lose the intimacy. Without the intimacy, we lose the sense of belonging. A lot of dukkha possible there. A lot of dukkha. What about a loss of privacy? Stuck at home with family members, navigating small spaces, kids home full time. Some people afraid or, or need to be afraid to go out because of health issues, stuck indoors, loss of privacy. And a few other subtle ones, loss of certainty, loss of certainty, loss of predictability, loss of a sense of control. What about loss of trust, loss of trust in Medical providers, perhaps, maybe, maybe not. Loss of trust in media, maybe, maybe not. Authority figures. Loss of trust, common in a situation like this. And two others that came to me personally, a loss of optimism. I've had moments where I felt a real loss of optimism it arises and passes, but I've been surprised. I tend to be a very optimistic person, and I've noticed for me there have been days where there has been a distinct loss of optimism.
Getting in touch with loss allows us to use our practice to decrease the grief. First noble truth, that courageous step where we reflect back to ourselves the fact of suffering. Shock, fear, denial, sadness, and longing, all normal to the human experience. To conclude our reflection, it helps to reflect on something positive. In light of all this, we are all here this evening. We are relatively safe, relatively secure, and we have managed. We've managed thus far and we will continue to do so to the best of our ability. We have support, we have people who love and care about us, and here we are showing up Wednesday evening together relatively safe and relatively secure. You have been doing something right. You have been doing something well. Write down one thing that you've managed to do well in the last 90 days. Write down something you've done well, a tool, a skill, a success, because there's something there. If we're here tonight together, all of us have been doing something right. We've kept ourselves safe. We've remained equanimous. We've brought some courage. We've brought some love. We've brought self-care into the world. We've looked after each other. You've done something right if you're here tonight. Something positive, something helpful for yourself or another being. And then lastly, Write down something you're either going to continue to do that will increase your joy and happiness in the next few months, or something brand new that you're going to take on that will bring you some joy and happiness and ease in the next few months. Something positive. Maybe some walks in the sunshine. Maybe being mindful of a summer breeze. Who knows? It can be anything. Something positive that will keep you going. So with that positivity in mind, let us bring ourselves back to our bodies. Take a long, slow, deep breath in, long, slow, deep breath out. And remember the goodness that lies within you the capacity for joy and compassion. Joy and compassion. Before we move to Metta, I wanted to thank you all again for gracing me with your presence. It is so, I just love meeting with you every week. It's so nice to be with you all, truly. It's such a privilege. I so enjoy this time together. 
And I really appreciate you allowing me to play this role. It's such a privilege to be able to teach the Dharma. And I learn so much every time we come together and in preparation for coming together. It's such an amazing experience that it really does transform my life. And it's just so unique to have you as a part of it. So I really do thank you for being a part of my life, being a part of this community and joining me week to week in this. It is just, it is really heartwarming and it's just a great relief to know that there's folks out there that are willing to try and show up in life with wisdom and compassion and who can come together acknowledging that this isn't nothing. This is tough work. It's tough work and we are going to honor the first noble truth to the best of our ability. We're going to try to do the work that needs to be done as the Buddha said. So on that note, let us fall back into the present. Let's close our eyes for a minute and remind ourselves that all of this work we do is never just for us. We always do this work so all beings can share in the merits of our practice. And we wish all beings to be able to manage through this time to feel safe and secure, to find a way to connect and belong. We give a shout out, especially to all those who are caring for others in this time. That includes everybody, parents, friends, family, medical staff. People of all levels of reality, serving each other, helping each other, trying to come together to decrease suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. This is our highest aspiration. May all beings know true love and true kindness and true freedom in this lifetime. May all beings be liberated. Thank you, my friends. If you have a moment, please go onto the website and toss a few coins into our digital Donable. Molly will put the link up as always. Again, keep in touch with your heart, stay safe, and I will see you guys next week for more Dharma. Thanks for coming. Really appreciate it.